Good morning. It's Tuesday, April 20th. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. This week, President Biden is hosting a virtual leaders summit on climate. Representatives from about 40 countries have been invited to talk about how to limit man-made climate change. But there is a growing campaign from advocates who want the international community to go a step further. They want them to categorize the destruction of our planet as an international crime. And there's a word for that. It's called ecocide. NBC and Inside Climate News are working together on a series about this push to make ecocide, that is destruction of the environment, a crime recognized by the International Criminal Court, the ICC. And the idea here is, by classifying environmental damage as a serious crime, one that's punishable by charges or even jail time, it might deter big actors from doing the kind of harm that drives mass extinction and climate change. The way things stand right now, there are four main categories of crimes that the ICC prosecutes. Genocide, crimes against humanity, crimes of aggression, and war crimes. In 2002, back when the ICC was first formed, environmental destruction was included in a draft of the body statute. But after the U.S., U.K., and the Netherlands pushed back, ecocide was removed from the list of crimes. Now, so far, no nation has formally introduced an ecocide proposal to the ICC for reconsideration. A group of advocates from the Stop Ecocide Foundation is trying to convince one of the member nations to do that. First, they're working on drafting a clear definition of what ecocide is. One key part, they say, is a willful disregard of environmental destruction. But NBC explains these advocates are facing an uphill battle. For one, Ratifying the law would require support from a large majority of the court's members. And one advocate told reporters, when it comes to climate change, it's difficult to connect polluters to specific harms. Plus, extracting or burning fossil fuels itself isn't actually against the law. All of this can make an ecocide law hard to enforce. NBC says that the concept of ecocide is picking up steam. At least 10 countries already have national ecocide laws. As of July of 2020, according to the United Nations, more than 1,500 climate change cases had been filed in 30 countries. Pope Francis has even proposed making ecocide a sin for Roman Catholics. And yet some world leaders have said this threat to humanity is beyond the scope of international criminal law. The spread of COVID in jails and prisons is a story of national neglect. Data from the Marshall Project shows more than 2,500 imprisoned people have died and close to 400,000 have been infected in U.S. facilities. But one jail in D.C. is showing a different kind of neglect. For nearly 400 days, their pandemic policy has been to keep men and women locked in their cells for 23 hours a day, every day. The Washington Post reports when the pandemic started, about 1,500 men and women were being held at this jail in D.C. Many of these people are awaiting trial. Some have not been found guilty of the crimes for which they were arrested, and the majority are black. The Post says, In the past, this form of extreme confinement has been adopted by other jails and prisons, but 
only as a temporary measure. This facility, on the other hand, has been in lockdown for more than a year. The Post says some experts are calling it a form of mass solitary confinement. And they point out that some of the essential amenities that are usually afforded to people in solitary were also taken away. Visits were stopped. The library and the barber closed down. People were allowed out of their cells for one hour a day. And until recently, they weren't allowed to go outside. A psychology professor who specializes in the impact of solitary confinement told The Post, prolonged isolation can have harmful effects on your health that far outlast whatever time you spend behind bars. These effects include depression, anxiety, and heart disease. But officials at the D.C. jail say this system has worked and they defend the measures that are in place. They say the facility has mostly avoided the types of COVID-19 outbreaks seen at other jails and prisons. City data shows that fewer than 300 infections have been identified at this facility. And between staff and incarcerated people, four have died. According to The Post, there's currently no plan to reduce the amount of time people at this jail spend in confinement. When COVID-19 hit South Africa, the government took the drastic step of banning alcohol to prevent people from gathering during a public health crisis. Dr. Melvin Moodley tells NPR, the strategy worked. We saw a dramatic drop in hospitalizations, but more specifically, we saw a dramatic drop in trauma-related hospitalizations. But while the dangers of alcohol are well known, NPR says it's too simple to label this a public health success story. Alcohol has a long and complicated legacy in South Africa's apartheid past. And this ban put a unique pressure on the country's non-white population. Alcohol is a double-edged sword in South Africa. For many people, it's their livelihood. South Africa has a massive alcohol industry. It employs nearly 300,000 people. It's also a crucial source of income for many South Africans who were discriminated against during the apartheid era. In a country where non-white residents were legally banned from owning businesses, the underground alcohol industry gave people an economic foothold. NPR speaks to one South African who grew up and worked in a house that doubled as a speakeasy. Alcohol put food on his family's table. And when he was eventually allowed to legalize the business, he turned it into a thriving sports bar. Now this pandemic ban nearly put him out of work. For others, alcohol dependency was something that the ruling class took advantage of. For years, white business owners paid their black employees not in cash, but in booze. This only furthered the country's dysfunctional relationship with alcohol, one that still exists today. South Africa lifted the alcohol ban last month. But now, Parliament is considering making permanent changes to the country's alcohol laws, possibly raising the drinking age to 21 banning advertising, or even making it illegal to drive after a single drink. There are five universally accepted basic tastes. You can probably name them. Sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami. Umami is the latest one that was added to that list. It basically means savoriness. And now a new flavor discovered in Japan might be on its way to becoming the sixth taste. And it could have a big impact on our diets. This potential new taste is called kokumi. The Wall Street Journal explains, 
The term koku in Japanese describes foods that English speakers might call rich. One culinary scientist says that it's like a physical sensation, and then the suffix mi means taste. The journal says foods that have koku include wild boar, duck eggs, and aged sake, along with fermented dishes. Think some cheeses, long-cooked meats. All these might have this extra new taste. And kokumi could have some important implications for our health. It could give chefs and food scientists this way to create foods that have fewer calories and still taste really rich. There was a recent study in Singapore that found if the amino acid associated with kokumi is added to beef broth, people who eat it think that the broth tastes richer, like it has more calories. It's still unclear the exact taste receptor that's connected to kokumi, so more research is needed to understand the exact nature of this possible sixth taste. But until then, chefs are continuing to experiment and take advantage of the kokumi effect. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of our audio stories. We'll talk with you again tomorrow.